This podcast is the design of City Sites Urban Media, and our goal is to bring into focus the difference between culture and God's ideas found in His Word. To learn more, go to citysitesurbanmedia.com. What led you to make a, a rather radical departure from where your congregation had been? Well, my concern to make a radical change was that the church was leaving so many people behind, a huge part of our population that was getting the message that uh, they didn't qualify, they didn't, um, they didn't meet the criteria. What about passages where, where gays are explicitly, seemingly not welcome? The Bible doesn't change, but throughout history, our understanding of the scripture has certainly changed. You can go to, uh, to many reference points. We don't believe the world is flat. Uh, we don't keep Slaves, and yet we didn't cut those sections out of the Bible. We had to bring our own understanding of, of culture, of languages, of that things uh, change through time in order to understand the scripture so that they remain relevant. Otherwise, everything's left to obscurity. So we just have to use the tools that we have uh, to understand things in their context and as they apply to today. Have you had any trouble convincing the congregation or, or individual members of that? Originally, yes, when I announced that it would be an inclusive church, we did lose half of the people that were originally going to begin with us and two-thirds of our funding. Do you foresee a time when the entirety of the evangelical movement will go similarly along the path that your congregation has now chosen where gays and lesbians are just going to be accepted and this is just part of a broader trend? I hope that with every fiber in my being. This is the City Sites Podcast with Larry Kutzler. One of the things I love to do on this podcast every week is to talk to exciting people, people who are in the thick of things in terms of ministry or their thought leaders or, or seminar teachers or whatever. Today I have a pastor, and I, I love pastors because not only have I been one for many, many years, I think pastors, they have a key to a lot of what's going on in the church. And I want to talk to this pastor about some of the things that are happening to the church that's becoming a pressure on the church from the outside. Pastor Russ Grigsby is the pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Pastor, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into the ministry? Well, yeah. Well, first of all, thank you, Larry. I just appreciate you, brother, so much and your longtime ministry here in the Twin Cities. Well, I was not looking at all to be a pastor growing up. I had a a Christian upbringing, but went astray uh, many in in high school and college. I got into a fraternity and probably don't need to say much more than that, but <laughs> my sophomore year of college, uh, the Lord got a hold of me in a dream of all things, and it was uh, one of the most uh, frightening dreams, a near-death experience. I was going to die in, in, in a dream, and I was not ready to meet my maker, and uh, in that moment, I cried out the very name I had just been using as a curse word probably that day, and in that moment, I was saved, physically saved in this dream, and that's what did it for me. I ended up kneeling beside my bed and surrendering my life to Jesus. So that is, in a nutshell, how I felt the call to the ministry. And many of the churches that you have served as pastor, have they been in the inner city? Yeah, so I've actually only served one other church about uh, three and a half miles southeast of here, but you could say it may be not quite inner city, but uh, first ring, if you will. But where I'm at now, we are uh, right in the heart of inner city, uh, right on the corner of uh, Portland Avenue and 19th, so pretty much if you think Franklin Avenue and, and Portland, that's where we're at, in the heart 
part of the Phillips neighborhood. Yeah, great location for ministry, I'm sure. Pastor Russ, you know, for so long, I have been concerned about pastors because I've seen how they have oftentimes caved into the culture or the message that it's okay to believe in certain immoral activities. The LGBTQ community has been pressuring churches and other organizations to accept an agenda that is just not biblical. And I don't think people realize the pressure that's on the leaders of the church to kind of push that back. Some have accepted it, of course, and have embraced it. But pastors like yourself that say, no, that's not biblical, so I'm going to take a stand. And yet there are people running for Congress, or were running for Congress, who said, basically, if you don't, at church, that is, if you don't accept the LGBTQ community's agenda, we'll take your tax-exempt status away. Do you think religious institutions like colleges, churches, charities, should they lose their tax-exempt status if they oppose same-sex marriage? Yes. No benefit, no tax break for anyone or any institution, any organization in America that denies the full human rights and the full civil rights of every single one of us. And so as president, we're going to make that a priority and we are going to stop those who are infringing upon the human rights of our fellow Americans. What do you think about that? I really see the LGBT agenda as one of the most insidious attacks on our religious liberties because it gets to the very core of who we are and what we believe. Walt McFadden is a dear colleague, still is, mentor, a friend of mine, and he always told me, he said, Russ, you can't have the gospel without transformation. And I am so moved by this because I look at 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul says, you know, speaking of homosexuality among other sins, but he says, that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord. And so for the LGBT agenda, and I say agenda because it's not, not everyone in the community is vehemently attacking our faith. Many are, are very good, nice people that I love dearly, but those at the heart of the agenda are trying to say that you cannot speak about this transformation. You, you can't talk about changing someone in that way. And I say, well, if you are going to prevent me from saying that, you might as well prevent me from from preaching the gospel, because a gospel without that belief in that transformation is, to me, no gospel at all. So yeah, I I feel it is the greatest threat to our religious liberties today. I have an issue with some leaders in the church, because they say, well, we don't want to get into anything political, because we don't want to taint the message of the gospel. Now, I kind of understand that because the gospel is first and foremost, right? To get people into the kingdom is important. Yet, isn't there a responsibility by those who teach and preach the gospel that they take a stand against immorality? There is continual pressure from the society that is trying to make homosexuality within the church a normal and everyday occurrence. Take, for example, this news story. It was a difficult admission in front of the church he founded east of Atlanta. Bishop Jim Swilly has been married twice and is the father of four, but he says he was moved to share that he's gay. I know a lot of straight people think that uh, orientation is a choice. I want to tell you that it certainly is not. He believes that God loves you for who you are. For Good Morning America, Steve Osinsami, ABC News, Atlanta. So how does a pastor do it? You want to tell people about Christ and you want to get them saved 
But at the same time, don't we have a responsibility to talk about this immorality that is all around us? We do, because again, it is at the core of the gospel. If you're not addressing sin, then you can't bring a gospel. But we, uh, this church here has a sort of a pietistic tradition, and the name uh, Hans Nielsen Hauge means anything. That is a a pietistic Norwegian background for this this Lutheran church that that I'm serving uh, here at St. Paul's. What was so inspirational to me about the the Haugian movement or the the pietistic stream of our faith, and I, I don't certainly don't agree with everything pietistic, but I think what they understood and what Haugi brought to Norway and uh, subsequently here to America was that you cannot have a gospel devoid of the realities, uh, of addressing the realities of our day. And no more so was that on full display than in Nazi Germany. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a beloved German Lutheran theologian, spoke to the atrocities of his day that were happening, spoke out, and he called out the sleeping German church And he said, what you are doing, and this was literally happening, is that you had church musicians calling on their choirs and congregants to sing louder so that they could drown out the sounds of the screaming Jewish children who were being rounded up for concentration camps. That, to me, uh, gets to the heart of why we have to be involved in, some would say politics, but I would just say it is a biblical worldview which informs our, our daily life. Could American pastors be charged with hate speech for speaking out on their convictions? Shifting away from traditional marriage could pose bigger problems for pastors down the road. If you look at other nations that that have gone down the road towards gay marriage, that's the next step of where it gets enforced, is it gets enforced against Christian pastors who decline to perform gay marriages, who speak out and and preach biblical truths on marriage, and that, that has been defined elsewhere as hate speech, as inconsistent with the enlightened view of government. And I think there is no doubt that the advocates who are driving this effort in the United States want to see us end up in that same place. So, Pastor, let's say, for example, they start passing hate speech legislation in America. I mean, in some cases, I'm told that it's already happening in Canada. But if you begin to talk about homosexuality or any kind of immoral behavior, it could be considered hate speech. Would that deter you from preaching on sin? Not at all. Again, any more than a threat to take away my my Bible would would prevent me from preaching Scripture. The core of of who I am, of of really, I believe, every Christian is, every true Christian at at their core, is allegiance to Jesus Christ and to His Word. And I I don't care what type of a a threat it is, my allegiance is to Christ. He he bought me, He paid the ultimate price for me, and I, I owe Him nothing less than my life. You know, the scripture says, uh, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And I, I just see the constant pressure to conform to this world. Larry, I'm so thankful that we have a gospel and that we have the Word of God to guide us in times like these and to remind us that greater is He who is in us. And we have the victories. It would never deter me. And I, I say that humbly because I know that uh, there would be a great pressure, but by God's grace, no, I, I would not be deterred. You know, so many times I think we're spared some of the issues that some of the Christians around the world, you know, go through, persecution for their faith, etc. Do you think that the 
dilemma that the scriptures tell us will happen in the last days to the church, to Christian leaders. Are we preparing the congregations for such things? I know some people think, and of course it depends on your theology, whether you'll escape the tribulation period of time and uh, the trumpet will sound and the church will be brought up. But what happens if it doesn't? I mean, the possibility is that we're going to even see some persecution as believers before the trumpet sounds. I mean, are we preparing our churches for that kind of experience? I I don't think we are, and I say that, again, humbly, because uh, there are many uh, good and faithful pastors who are seeking with all their heart, I believe, to do the right thing. The challenge becomes, what is ultimately our job right now in, in 21st century America? I believe, Larry, with all my heart, it is to prepare our people, to make them ready to meet their maker, uh, to make them ready for uh, persecution. We're promised it. We, we know it will come. It's just a matter of time. And so for me, it, it's constantly looking at being aware of, of what's happening in our society and and then reflecting on that biblically. And so I don't honestly see uh, a lot of pastors doing this. I, I could be wrong, but I know that there are uh, tremendous pressures, but I, I'm praying for pastors and for the church uh, to rise up and to accept their responsibility now to to make the church ready for what is about to come upon us. You know, a good friend of ours, Bruce Lau, has a ministry called Nehemiah Reset, and he's trying to actually get churches to think through their civic responsibilities of of a being informed voter and making congregations aware of the ramifications of electing the wrong people coming up in the next year or so, how that could really infringe and threaten our freedom as, as Americans. He f- discovered that there are many, many, many churches that won't touch his ministry, which is about helping the churches to understand good voting. They won't even go near it because it's too political. Well, how do you work around that? And what do you say to other pastors about you know their responsibility to make sure that our freedom is held intact by the right kind of voting. I guess first I would just say that we are literally one election away from persecution, I mean, outright persecution. The If you think about the Democratic Party, the platform that they are espousing and what they sought to pass, were it not for the Republican Senate and then the Trump administration, we would have in the land, we would have hate speech, what we believe and what we preach. And so I just remind them of that. Yeah, I get so frustrated by this whole sort of demagoguery against pastors who who simply want to proclaim biblical truth from the pulpit, how it's called politics. I, I truly believe, Larry, that this is not, first and foremost, an attack on conservatives or an attack on Republicans or an attack on libertarians or, or anything like that. This is directly an attack on God and upon the Bible and upon his followers. Again, it's not a popular view today, but I absolutely am convinced that the role of the Christian minister is to speak directly to these assaults that are coming, no matter if it's uh, an inner city church or uh, if you're in suburbs or or rural America, uh, the attack is coming and we must stand against it. Well, the one thing I'd like to do, Pastor, is to clone you and get you out in about a few thousand churches. I think maybe we have a chance to uh, change the thinking of Americans, that's for sure. You know, Pastor, a lot of times pastors are known as teachers, they're known as encouragers, you know, they're evangelists, 
evangelists a lot of times. I think today, though, they're not known as prophets as much as they probably were several decades ago. Talking about preaching the word as truth and not backing away from what the scriptures teach. And I think that biblical understanding has to come from the mouth, I think, of the preacher, of the pulpit, of any church. And I know that we don't use this term too much in the church, even though it has happened in church history, and that is course correction. And I believe the prophets were those that brought course correction. And without the voice of the prophet in the church, then there's not a whole lot of course correction taking place in the church. And that's what we need. So let me ask you as a prophet, as you preach to the church, do you see a course correction that's needed in the churches in general? And if so, what would that be? Yes, I do. And I think the first course correction simply needs to be a humbling, a humbling of ourselves. I actually just preached on, uh, on this in Isaiah. We're looking at, at the prophecies in Isaiah that tell of the birth of Messiah and looking at this course correction that God gave to King Ahaz. Uh, he offered him this, this course correction and Ahaz didn't take it. Well, what we're seeing in Isaiah 9 and of course the, the wonderful scripture for unto us, a, a child is born, to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders. I zoned in on that and I, I talked about how... We, Anytime we, we have any type of government, whether it's the American government or the government of our own hearts, it must yield to Christ's government, and he, he will not share his throne. When we see in any area of our church today, any area that is reluctant to give up our own government for the sake of allowing Christ and his righteous rule and reign over our church, being able to course correct, anytime we are resistant to that, to me it is almost a into Ahaz at worst, and you could think in the time of, of Jesus, you, you think about the religious leaders and their uh, resistance uh, to course correct, even though they had the Messiah right in front of them. So actually, that, that would probably even be worse than Ahaz, because they had Jesus uh, face-to-face there. But yeah, I, I just see it. I see it everywhere. I see it in myself, I, and I just want to uh, say that, uh, that I, I need a prophet speaking to me. It's why you know I, I go to other pastors, and I've got a group of elders now, and I, I listen to good teaching, and and so I need this, because we all drift. We drift naturally, and that's why we need the Word of God, and we, we need prophetic preaching even to the, to the pastors and preachers, especially to the pastors and preachers. I wholeheartedly believe that everyone needs a mentor, one or two or many, you yeah. know, because I do think we do drift. Pastor, I really, really, really appreciate your candidness and your openness. Oh. You know, oftentimes when I pray for preachers, for pastors, I pray that God would encourage them, first of all, because their job is not easy, and secondly, <laughs> that he would give them courage, boldness to stand. Like the prophets of old, a lot of them ended up, you know, getting killed or or imprisoned or something. And I know nobody wants to do that. But at the same time, we can't cower back from what God has given to us in our hearts to tell the truth as the truth is. Because after all, if the watchman doesn't blow the trumpet and warn, I mean, the blood of the people that will be, you know, subject to God's judgment will be on our hands. So if you would, Pastor, if you would just pray for your colleagues, if you would just pray Mm -hmm quickly that God would give them an awakening and a, and a boldness yeah. to preach the good news and to preach the gospel as we know it to be. Well, Father, I, I just thank you so much uh, for my brothers and sisters in Christ uh, throughout the land. Lord, I thank you that you have called ministers of your gospel for this time. Lord, I thank you that I, I'm not alone, that uh, <laughs> just like you told Elijah, there's 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So uh, thank you, Father, and I just pray that you would encourage them uh, that they are not 
not alone, that we are in this together. And it really is an exciting time to be alive, Father. We thank you for that. But Lord, I I just want to pray right now that you would open the eyes of the prophetic ministers in the state of Minnesota and in the Twin Cities, God. I'm asking you that you would bring conviction upon their hearts and that you would embolden them with courage. I pray that you would even give them dreams and visions of what is to come so that they will boldly do their job and speak your word to the people. Lord, I I pray that you would bring support to them, not only from uh, other believers, but God, I just pray for heavenly support. I pray that you would provide angelic support to pastors at this time. I pray that they would feel encouraged to not only uh, bring uh, prophetic words that may be hard, but God, I pray that they would they would also engage in in really just a course correct in their own lives, Father, in, in their home life with their spouses and children, Lord, with their friends. I just pray for a holiness to fall upon uh, your people, Lord, and uh, especially your leaders. So, Father, I, I ask this not for my sake, but for the sake of your dear son, Jesus. Jesus Christ, who is worthy, uh, who is coming back for a spotless bride, a bride who has not tainted herself. So, Lord, we we just want to be ready, and I just uh, humbly ask that you would use us here to uh, to make the church of the Twin Cities and the Church of Minnesota ready for your soon return. We love you, Lord, and I just thank you again for this opportunity, and it's in Jesus' powerful and wonderful name that I pray. Thank you for joining us today. Every Friday, we bring you this podcast with interviews with people who are challenging the status quo of Christianity and challenging the cultural norms of our day. Please help us get the word out by sharing the link to this podcast with your online friends and family. Our website also contains other podcasters who are part of the City Sites network of communicators, all sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our website is citysitesurbanmedia.com.